0: That's investher, H E R, con.com, promo code 100 best ever to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com.
1: When I look back at my early fourplex days and I was buying stuff at 20000 a unit, they're now worth hundred and fifty, dollars 175000 per unit. So I would say anytime that you have the opportunity to keep real estate, do so. And I would give that advice to my younger self.
2: Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best up for listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed, and today I'm joined by Ruben Greth. Ruben is based in Phoenix, Arizona. He is a managing partner and full-time syndicator at Legacy Acquisitions, which raises capital for commercial real estate syndications. They are currently focused on their own offerings, which are three build-to-rent subdivisions in different phases of development, totaling 475 units. Ruben, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on?
1: Sure. I'm primarily a capital partner, so I focus on bringing equity to our deals. We've raised for some other people like Matt Faircloth in the past, but I got my start in small multifamilies back during the real estate crash. So I was basically following some investors around town here in Phoenix and asking them questions about how they found deals, how they were going to remodel them, get them back on the market and cash flow and profit along the way, depending on their business models. And through what I now understand to be an interview-based thought leadership platform, I was able to bring some investors to town that had helped us purchase a variety of fourplexes and a 12 plex. And I thought that I had arrived, but I ended up splitting up with my partner, kind of went back into corporate America with my tail between my legs. And then many years later, I was thinking, I want to get back into real estate. And I came up with this plan to buy a bunch of fourplexes because that's what I knew when somebody said, well, how many of these do you want to take down? And I'm like, well, I think if I had 32 fourplexes doubling my portfolio every year or two, that would be phenomenal. And they're like, 32 fourplexes, that's 128 units. Why don't you just take them all down right now? And I was like, well, I don't know how to do that. So they introduced me to the concept of syndication. And then I got very interested, interviewed some local syndicators, told them that I had some experience raising capital. And they're like, really, why don't you just come join us instead of paying a guru a bunch of money to teach you this business? We need some help in that space. So I helped them raise some capital for a 90 unit down in Tucson. And then I started a show about raising capital because that's exactly what I wanted to learn and found out about funds and institutional capital and family offices and how to raise from limited partners and decided to go out and launch my own fund, that's when I partnered up with my team at Legacy Acquisitions. And we raised for a couple of multifamily syndication deals and then kind of doubled down into the build-to-rent space because we found it lucrative with a lot less competition. So it's been a crazy ride getting into raising capital and then moving into syndications and then into development. But it's been a lot of fun.
2: Ruben, when did you go full-time? at raising funds for syndications? The last W-2 that I
1: left was in 2013. And it's been about 10 years. Some of it has been in real estate. I tried selling properties as an agent for a while. I started a furniture business, but I haven't had a regular W-2 in about 10 years.
2: Specific to raising capital for commercial real estate syndications, multifamily included, when did that start?
1: 2019 was when I was an apprentice for a local syndicator here and they brought me on to raise capital, but they didn't really have a database of existing investors. And they're like, hey, we brought you on to raise the money. Where's the money? So I felt all this pressure and I didn't have an existing limited partner database. So my solution that I created was to go out and seek some co-GPs. And then I brought in a couple of guys that took partial ownership of our LLCs that we were taking down properties with And that kind of became my forte, right? Is reaching out to co-GPs because I'm good at networking and bringing on their databases of investors to partner with us to take down larger deals.
2: 2019, so you've been at this pre-COVID for a while, during COVID and now recording in the very middle of 2023. We've experienced about 15 months of the Federal Reserve raising interest rates.
0: yeah.
2: So speaking to the market of the moment, Ruben, when it comes to capital raising for commercial real estate, be it multifamily, your experience previously, the build to rent development that you're doing currently, I want to ask with as acute of a market as we're experiencing right now, what is more difficult than it was before the Fed started raising interest rates? And what's actually easier? Is anything easier?
1: Well, I think what a lot of people are doing right now, a lot of people, syndicators included, who have stopped syndicating are waiting for some to happen. Right now, I think what's easy to do is to start creating systems and putting together marketing campaigns and programs and building teams that are scalable. So right now is a great time to spend time doing that. What's harder is because people are withdrawn and there's a lot of negative information on the news and media about investment, it's harder to get people to deploy their funds into real estate and there's people in multiple industries who are struggling to deal with the economic change in terms of interest rates to raise the capital and because there's still a lot of people in the industry that a great deal of competition, particularly in value multifamily. So unless you're really versed at finding deals, it, it can be very challenging to find something that pencils that you would have probably done better at a few years ago when everything was going up in value so rapidly. So dealing with the lending is a challenge, particularly in development. We had a loan that was approved and documents signed and then The lenders came back and said, the warehouse lines were pulled. We need you guys to do a lower LTV, a loan to value on this and raise some more reserves in the building space, in the development space. Those kinds of things, you have to be prepared for those. And we went back to our database, raised some additional money, but that's challenging working with lenders, having them change their parameters And some of it is in their control and some of it is not, depending on when you're trying to close the loan. Also in our space, you have to deal with construction costs, changing the price of cement, the price of supply chain, the price of wood. As those things change, the lending parameters, a lot of times will change with them and we have to be able to deal with that. So that's been a tricky part. And then, of course, raising the funds, I think everybody's having a harder time doing that in late
2: 2023. You said it's a good time, though, to be building out your infrastructure as a capital raiser, your systems, your platforms. Interesting that it's a good time to sharpen the axe, albeit more difficult to chop down trees. Ruben, speaking to the listeners, but also speaking directly to me, give me some advice, here when it comes to that capital raising infrastructure. I'm an active real estate investor who has yet to syndicate. I've done a handful of joint ventures. So I've raised capital from other active partners, but outside of some work on thought leadership with the best ever podcast, I don't have a capital raising infrastructure per se. Where should I start?
1: I would start with a lot of educating yourself. Because it is an entire universe that I didn't know existed. It's like a can of worms that you open. Right now, I think is a great time to be sharpening the axe. But here's what a lot of people don't consider as they're moving into syndication: they want their GP card, they want to become established general partners. They can imagine running and operating businesses in terms of real estate, but they may not be thinking and contemplating about managing employees or people that come into your business, getting everybody to grow on the same page. And the fact that capital raising is so diverse in terms of what you have to do when it comes to marketing, running automations, dealing with technology and syndication pro or whatever portal you're using, and then branding and website creation and creating lead magnets, driving traffic to you, applying SEO, raising for different sub-niches. It's just an incredibly diverse array of things that you have to be very good at, not to mention vetting sponsors, learning how to negotiate your share of the general partnership. So to me, people need to start thinking about where it would be advisable that said. set. And I invite you to start looking at the legalities, how to find investors, partnering with and profiling investors partnering with other capital raisers and studying strategic and tactical marketing. But you want to start, I think, if you apply some of the lessons of the book, "Who Not How by Van Sullivan, you want to start, and Benjamin Hardy, you want to start delegating to people. And if you don't have money to pay people to do it, try and get creative with it. But start learning and paying attention to the way other people have scaled their businesses, what kind of dilemmas they've had to face, And then building out a system that helps you be accountable, that allows you to manage other people that you're growing alongside with, and then really kind of pay attention to what are the issues that can be addressed and foresee what's going to be upcoming in your process of building a full-blown infrastructure for capital raising. And all of that is based on going out and educating yourself in the space by listening to shows like this. Or, you know, I have my own podcast as well. There's a lot of podcasts. What's kind of interesting is at the end of any multifamily syndicators podcast, they're always giving away their contact information. So these people they want to be reached out to. And if it's challenging to find a business partner in your mind because you have a limited belief, just understand that if you network with enough people, eventually you'll find some people that you'll resonate with and potentially become partners with. As I have found in the podcast, some of the people that that I've been in the
2: Positioning to the difficulties of capital raising right now, your most recent fund that closed, when did it close?
1: Some people think that a syndication is a fund because you are raising funds in it.
2: My apologies. Yes, your most recent completed capital raise.
1: Here's the other thing with development, too, is that it's kind of a moving target. There's different phases of development. If you're not taking down the land with your own money, then you have to raise for that phase. And then a lot of times you have to raise for the infrastructure, putting in the street sewers, utilities, and getting engineering entitled and zoning changes. And that is a different risk profile and different capital raise a lot of times than the actual vertical construction, which would be like maybe your third phase of raising money. In our case, we syndicate that last portion because it's the part that's got the most risk mitigated and is the fastest time for us to return capital to our investors.
2: Ruben, are you that's saying up- that you all acquire the land and build out the infrastructure before you raise capital?
1: We do a combination. So we raise from joint ventures a lot of times. we do personal loans to put in the infrastructure or pay for some of that with our own money. And then we syndicate, at least in our current business model, we syndicate the last portion of that development, yes.
0: We'll get back to the show. with the first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you tired of spending hours managing your rental properties? Inago is here to simplify your life as a landlord or property owner with their free property management software. With Inago, you can say goodbye to complex and costly solutions. Inago is designed with simplicity in mind, focusing on the features that matter to you. From tenant screening and lease signing to rent collection and work order management, Inago has got you covered. They offer a seamless interface and dedicated support representatives to assist you in every step of the way. Join thousands of satisfied landlords and start streamlining your property management tasks today with Inago. Plus, you'll get a $25 Amazon gift card just for using Inago. Visit Anago.com forward slash ever to get started and reclaim your time and sanity. That's I-N-N-A-G-O dot com forward slash best ever. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR, with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors, targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a two to 2.5X equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com.
2: With the three developments you have going currently, have you completed the capital raise for the vertical construction of any of them?
1: For the vertical construction, two of them are still pretty much in the land phase. The one that we started with, the horizontal is going through and the vertical development, the capital raise is going to be minus like maybe hundred thousand dollars that's a sixteen so, million dollar project, four million dollars. So we have a sixteen million dollar deal, a thirty-two million dollar deal, and a forty-eight million.
2: So, Ruben, going back to your point about what's been difficult lately, and that being the handling the negative portrayal of commercial real estate investing that the media has right now, and the way that's influencing potential investors. With the raise that you have completed or are just about to complete, what are the objections to investing in your deal that you have had to navigate? Which objections are coming up from people who do eventually end up partnering with you all and which ones are coming from people who end up passing on this opportunity?
1: A lot of what we're seeing which is common because I think capital raisers will experience this and general partners that are raising for the deal. I should say limited partners in general tend to like trendy markets, ones that you might have a lot of information about. Right now, they're not necessarily great places to invest, but they still want things to be in Phoenix, Atlanta, Dallas, in these huge metroplexes where people have had an incredible amount of success. Now, the sponsors are leaving these cities a lot of them anyways, and moving into other markets where limited partners are not familiar. For example, we're in Louisiana and Alabama, and a lot of our investors that have invested in multifamily value add with other sponsors, they're not quite as familiar. So that's a huge objection. They're also wondering, why are you doing it in those particular markets? How do you do the market selection? So when we tell them that our team is based in those markets and that's where they live, that we know that's where we can buy land inexpensively. That's where the cities are in pro-growth mode. A lot of times, really, the investors that are coming on board, they see the vision for Build to Rent. It's a very hot asset class right now. thing exploding. But the objection is, I don't know enough about developments. I don't know the differences between this and multifamily syndication. And in some cases, they may not even know the different risk profiles between multifamily A-class, B-class, C-class, and complete gutting and how that compares to and what are the different risk profiles when you compare it to multifamily building developments or what we call horizontal multifamily, which is a subdivision of houses that are operated as one commercial real estate asset, just like the multifamily would be. So the biggest thing I think is educating and nurturing people and then finding people that have already of said, very challenging to find a deal in multifamily value add. So I'm going to sub niche into something that's a little bit more lucrative or find something that I can actually either raise for or participate with in some capacity. And I see as a trend in general, people are moving out of value add and going into sub niches like Student housing, or assisted living, or development, or A class. Passive
2: investors are doing this. Yeah,
1: well, all of the above, right? Because if the active investors are going there, they're bringing their databases into the asset classes. But yeah, it's harder to find a deal, and people that were making a big return as a limited partner saying, "I don't want to invest right now because I can't get what I was getting two years ago." So they can either put their money on the sideline, or they can. Basically, understand the concept that if they invest in real estate with a sponsor that has a very good track record, that their money is likely, assuming sponsors mitigate their risk well, they're probably going to be better off investing than leaving their money in the stock market or in the savings account. So they understand that if you invest in real estate and wait, you are going to be better off than if you wait and invest in real estate.
2: Talking about risk profiles and potential investors not really understanding the difference. How are you explaining to your investors the the risk profile difference between buying existing apartments with a value-add business plan and ground-up development of build-to-rent?
1: Yeah, I think what people really, it's a lot of educating merchants, what people really like about development is it can be more lucrative as long as the risk is been mitigated. But the very powerful part is when you are in a development deal, you have the opportunity to force appreciation. It's, it's a very powerful term. Anytime that you entitle the land, change the zoning, add infrastructure, add utilities, you're changing the value of the property just by changing the density, by adding buildings, by adding square footage, by improving the entire subdivision or multifamily what a lot of people do in the value add space is they improve the net operating income. They do this by raising the rents and typically in order to raise the rents, they rehab or refurbish some of the units little by little or sometimes in heavier lift properties they completely remove all of the resident base, restore it, and then put it back on the market. So there's that place where you can force appreciation and value at, but in development, you can do it at every single phase along the way and have multiple exit strategies where you can buy the land, get it approved for engineering, and then resell it. Or you can do zoning changes and resell it for a profit. You can start putting in horizontal infrastructure, streets and sewers, and then sell it. So that's an exit strategy. You can take it to full completion or even in the process of building out the houses or whatever building or development that you're doing, sell it in the middle of that. And after you've stabilized and built out the entire property, you can either sell it at that point or keep it or sell it off in chunks. So with multifamily, you can't sell, a piece of the building. But when you have a subdivision, you can sell 10 houses, or you can sell each individual house, or you can sell the entire subdivision to one institution that can run it as one commercial real estate asset with one property manager and one leasing agent. So when people see the forced appreciation place and how much power there is in that, and how many places you have the ability to force appreciation I think a lot of times they see that as something that they can't have in other types of investing.
2: That makes a lot of sense. Are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. What is the best ever book that you recently read?
1: I've read a book by Napoleon Hill called How to Own Your Own Mind that was recommended to me by Zach Hafenstahl. And it was very powerful. It kind of reminded me of Napoleon Hill being a podcaster, asking Andrew Carnegie, direct questions and having him answer, and they put it into a book format. So that's probably my favorite book that I've
2: read using. Nice. What is your best ever way to give back?
1: I like to staffing at personal development. We go on trips sometimes. I've been to Costa Rica to rebuild a school. I've also helped rebuild some schools in California. And what I want to get into and what I'm doing at a very small scale is just helping local animal shelters. In fact, I'm going to see the Things Children's Hospital Canine Division. So I'm a really big animal lover. I would like to help by going to shelters and giving some of these dogs that are on death row some company and then hopefully get them to get adopted. That's some of the things that I've been doing. And then, of course, on a bigger scale, as I get larger and larger in syndication, I'd like to help the poaching situation. I don't really like all the hunting that's going on in the ivory trade in Africa. I've seen some very graphic illustrations and videos depicting elephants getting mutilated for pieces of bone that can be traded on the black market. And it's, it's very discouraging. So I'd like to help in that capacity. But for now, what I'm doing is local animal shelters with a focus on German shepherd dogs.
2: Ruben, focusing on projects where you have raised capital for commercial real estate syndications, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it?
1: I saw some people that seemed very residence focused and spiritual in nature with a good tracker record of previous deals and then started working with them and found out that in reality, they had some upset investors They had poor communication infrastructure. The things that they claimed were not true. So I would say the biggest learning lesson for me was just because someone seems like a good human being doesn't necessarily mean that they're a great business operator. And it makes a lot of sense to do background checks or get references before you partner with somebody. And it can be very scary if you find yourself in business with somebody that has a shady track record because if they get investigated by the sec you can lose your ability to capital raise and if that's your lifeline that's your bloodline that's what you want to do and focus on you have to be very careful about who you partner with and even as a limited partner you have to be very careful about investing with the first sponsor so definitely do a lot of due diligence those are some of the biggest fun lessons for me
2: On that note, what is your best ever advice?
1: I had this gentleman, Sam Freshman, come on my podcast. He's been through like six real estate cycles. He started syndicating back in the 1960s. He said he bought a million dollar building, high rise in downtown Los Angeles for a million dollars. And about a year or two later, he sold it for two million. Looking back on life, he really wishes, because that property now, that building is now worth a hundred million dollars, is that he would have just kept it. So when I look back at my early fourplex days when I was buying stuff at 20,000 a unit they're now worth 150 175,000 per unit. So I'd say anytime that you have the opportunity to keep real estate, do so and I would give that advice to my younger self.
2: Last question, where can people get in touch with you?
1: If they want to just network and hang out with me, they can follow me. LinkedIn is probably my preferred social media platform if they're interested in build to rent, they can find me at Legacy Acquisitions. And if they want to hear about capital raising, they can check out the show at CapitalRaisingShow.com.
2: Those links are in the show notes. Ruben, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you and have a best ever day.
1: Welcome. This has been a blast, man. Shout out to Joe Fairless. You guys are doing a great job.